Welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Roger. I am the Director of Student and Young Adult Ministry here at Life Canton. I just want to say welcome, whether you are online or in person. Uh, we're so excited for you to be joining us today. If you are a returning visitor, welcome back. You're going to love a lot of what's going to happen today. If you are a first-timer or a new visitor, welcome to you as well. We want you to know that you belong. Uh, to God and to this community. And one of the best ways for you to get plugged in here is actually to fill out a Connect card, which you'll have on your seats next to you. You can let us know who you are, what you're interested in, questions, or maybe even where you want to get involved. So fill one of those out and then take it to our Welcome Dallas in the Lobby because we have smiling faces and people who would love to meet you in person. So be sure you do that for us. If you're online, you can click the link in the comments to follow it to our Now page. Uh, today is going to be awesome. We have been dreaming and excited about this day for the past week because uh, Pastor Nathan will be talking about Acts, uh, where the first century church gathered and some of the things they did. And as we were uh, sitting with this message and uh, in, in what he's going to talk about, we decided we want to bring a little bit of that house church experience to you. So today's going to be awesome and you're going to love it. Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, one of the things I've really enjoyed and you all listen to the podcast. I know that, right? I don't have to. Yeah, you all listen to the podcast. So on the podcast, what I've been doing is sitting down with staff and interviewing them and getting to know them and, and also asking them what they're excited about when we talk about this 10-year vision. And one of the cool opportunities we have uh, this today is to hear from some people that you may not get to hear from all the time uh, other than to hear their beautiful voices and playing of instruments. So I'm going to introduce everyone by name, and then I'm going to ask some questions. So got David, Hello. myself. Uh, we got Bridget, Pastor Nathan, Veronique. In the back, we got Rob because we couldn't fit the piano on the couch. That didn't really work. So Rob's back there. <laughs> and then, uh, we got Liz and we got Enrique. So I'm going to ask you three, the people we don't always get to hear speak about the 10-year vision, uh, a quick question. When it comes to the 10-year vision, what are you excited about? What is your hope for this vision we've been talking about? Okay, well, there's, uh, there's so much material rooted in the Life Canton church 10-year vision that um, I had a hard time, you know, it, that, that so much that resonates within me, I had a hard time just coming up with the favorite part. Um, the statement is a, is a bold, brave, and exciting manifesto that clearly embodies the intention of the gospel and fills me with such hope and pride to be a member of Life Church. Its completeness conveys all the long and intentional consideration needed for such a powerful position. I believe the simple statement that calls for a spiritual transformation of multicultural disciple makers in the presence of Christ who will transform our communities through the love of the kingdom of God shining through us, that's my favorite part, and that's what makes my heart beat quickest. Uh, I think what Rico said is perfect. Um, what I'm most excited about is that the vision is solid um, and knowing that there is a, a community Life Church is going to support that vision. Um, I think success is going to be uh, something we're going to have for absolutely, absolutely sure of that. So um, I'm excited. I'm excited. I am passionate about the 10-year vision because it connects all the pieces of why we do what we do. Uh, why discipleship matters, why biblical justice and love matters, and why the six codes on the wall matter. It connects us to the end game, the vision of heaven that Revelation 7-9 talks about. It says, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. This vision is meant to create a unity in our church that is so great it overflows into our communities and beyond. And that is something I'm excited about. 
For sure. Thank you guys for sharing. Uh, David, I, I would say they brought up some things that are worthy of worship and celebration. Yes. So why don't you go ahead and lead us in that? Hey, everybody. Uh, so worship is going to look a little bit different this morning. One of the things that we want to invite you to do is um, worship how you want. Uh, whether that be sitting down or standing up or uh, on your knees and in prayer or with your hands out receiving what God has for you, uh, it is it is truly kind of a house church morning. So I want to invite you to do what feels best for you. We're going to learn a new song this morning, and it's, it's, it's called Heal Our Land. And one of the things about it that I really enjoy is um, you see God's people trying different things over and over again to bring justice and love into the community, and they find out, uh, to much surprise, that only God can do it. Only Jesus can do it, and through his torch and, and what we carry out into the community is what changes things and brings justice and love. So that's what the song is about. It's about positioning ourselves to a place to receive what God has to do so that he will heal our land because we can't do it on our own. Amen? All right, so as you get this song and it starts, uh, let the, the, the words meditate on your heart and let the overflow from your heart come out of your mouth. Does that make sense? That's, 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 how, we, that's how we sing. That's how we phrase. Uh, so as the song becomes familiar with you, I want to invite you to sing along with us. It goes like this. Come have your way, Lord. Here we 
Well, welcome everybody. Uh, I'm so glad that you're up here with me. I'm glad that you're out there with me as well. In fact, if we could put another couch and put you right there, that's where we'd want you to be. And this is a beautiful way to experience this, to experience a part of our vision that I think is, is pretty unique. Uh, not unique to the gospel, but unique to what God is going to do in our city and community. It is a burden, but it is a burden that we take on willingly and will bring us joy. We're talking about our vision. This is the series we're in. Last week, we got to talk more about the first half. Uh, that they go together, but there's a first part that we want for every single one of you. We want you to reclaim something. We want you to reclaim your identity in Jesus. So much has been stolen from us, but God, he has given it back to us through Jesus. So we want every one of you to reclaim it. I want that for you and you and everyone. Not Roger. No, I actually definitely want it for Roger. Uh, not especially so. It's not like you're bad or anything, Roger. Anyways, uh, I want to stop talking about that. Um, just keep digging. You can dig, you can dig holes on the side of the wall and dig yourself out of it. No, you can't. All right. So we claim your identity in Jesus, but the second part, what we're going to talk about today is that we want something else for you. We want you to bear something, bear a torch, bear this, hold it, and take it out into the community. What? Bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. And those things go together. And so this is the way. This is the way that we move forward. And that's what the Christians used to call themselves, those who follow the way. It's a journey that all of us are going on. I'm going to do three parts today. And the first part, though, we have to sit in something. The first part is the injustice, part one. Acts 6, I've been waiting to preach this message to you for years. Um, very excited about it. But in Acts 6, talks about something that happened to the early church, uh, something, uh, the first real crisis that happened. Acts 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Man, there's a lot going on here. The numbers of the disciples was increasing. What does that mean? It means that uh, they were growing and things were happening. But a complaint came up against the Hellenistic Jews versus the Hebraic Jews. What does that mean? What's going on here? Well, the Hellenistic Jewish widows were not being fed. They're from Greek-speaking, Greek-living um, areas that now found themselves in Jerusalem. And they're widows. They don't have family there. But they weren't getting fed. The Hebraic or the Aramaic or the ones who were there, those widows were, but the Greek were not. This was not Christ's justice and love they were literally not getting a seat at the table. And so this issue came up first. And I want to talk about why this is an issue of love and justice. But it's unique that the church, the first thing they experienced was this. It was an issue of love. Well, they were widows, right? They needed to be cared for. This is important to know that in that society, women, if they didn't have a husband, if they didn't have children, they weren't much of anything unless they just had tons of money. Like, they were not treated well, and he asked the question, like, why are there a bunch of Greek widows in Jerusalem? People who grew up in other countries, why are they now finding themselves in Jerusalem? And that would be a really good question. See, there was, there was a theology that happened back then that was quite unique. Um, they believed, Jewish men and women, that if uh, that they believed in a resurrection, many of them did, meaning that someday they would be raised from the dead, their physical body, uh, but that it would happen in Jerusalem. And... 
if they didn't get buried in Jerusalem or die in Jerusalem, um, their bodies would need to be transported there, and they believed that they would roll underground for hundreds of miles to get there. Who wants to, like, turn in their grave? Who wants that happening to them? So what they would do with this belief is that they would go and die in Jerusalem, but they'd take their wife with them. Not only was their wife not there with her husband anymore, but all of her friends, her family, her community are now gone too. And so this is a huge problem in the community. Not just the Christian church, actually. It was a much bigger problem in the state. They could not provide. The Jewish temple could not provide. This was an issue of love. It was also an issue of injustice. See, it was, it was a racial issue. And they looked down on them because they did different skin tones. They were considered by some of the people who wrote stuff we still have today, the Talmud, they were considered second-class Israelites. They were the other to even the Jews. This was a racial issue. And it was also an injustice because they were immigrants. They didn't speak the same language. And so they, would have, they weren't even able to participate in worship or in the same way. They were considered less than you are other. And so it's interesting to me when you read that this is the first thing that comes up and makes me think about the issues we're going through right now. Um, specifically, what are the issues of injustice and love that we see today? So I'd ask you to ask yourself that question and to ask uh, a couple of you will share. But I'll, I'll start. Um, there's some issues of love that I'm experiencing. I looked up a couple days ago and realized that there are 13,000 children in the foster care system in Michigan. 13,000 kids, and that 300 of them need to be adopted. And I think about the love that's necessary there, the opportunity that's there. And the, another issue that I see and I became aware of is that just last week uh, in Canton, four of the people who are homeless died from the cold. They froze to death in Canton here. There's love, an opportunity for love all around us. I asked Roger to share a little bit of what he sees. Yeah, so when we talk about justice and love and we talk about our hearts breaking for the things that God's hearts break for, and we think about young people, uh, two things come to mind to me. Uh, First, just the issue that our students face in light of exposure. Right? I, b- I believe that every generation is uniquely equipped and gifted by God to bring change um, and to bring the kingdom. But with this generation, their, their levels of exposure, like you know, most of us, we got a phone in what, late high school, maybe even college, but they, they were exposed through phones and screens so early uh, that I worry that the enemy's gonna rob them of that gift through apathy and just images of, of violence and hate and brutality and injustice. I, I worry that he's going to use apathy to rob them of that power, that power that comes from God. So there's that issue. Uh, also, when we talk about students of color, there is not only a narrative, but a reality in this country that if your skin looks a certain way or your hair is a certain texture, uh, that you are lesser, that you are less beautiful, less valuable, uh, just less. And, and for those of us who are not people of color, uh, we forget, or even sometimes worse, we believe this, this other narrative that that's no longer an issue. And as someone who works with students, I can tell you like straight up that it's still an issue. It hasn't gone away. So, and it's just such, it's a, it's a profaning of the truth 
uh, which is that every student is created in the image of God and is beautiful and is valuable and is not lesser. So it, that breaks my heart, uh, and I want that to stop. <laughs> hmm. I think you bring together the idea of love and justice as being the same thing, and I think that's so crucial for us to understand. But you brought up a point, too, of like sometimes forgetting, uh, maybe as people who don't have, as a white person who doesn't have to live through it every day, um, I remember a moment where I, I kind of got shocked into another level of reality, and it was a, a music video that came out in May of 2018 um, by the actor Donald Glover, who goes by the name Childish Gambino, and it's called This Is America, and it, um, it really made a stir. And in this video, it, it is almost this, like, artistic expression of what people of color are going through and it's layered and difficult and and it's disturbing i mean it's not for kids it's got violence and stuff in it but it but it it, it shook me to my core and i remember seeing it and watching it over and over and over again and something inside me kind of go oh my gosh like it, this this is the reality for so many people and and i, and I realized as i was watching that video like i had for, forgotten or been like hey we've moved past this and i had forgotten the names of the people of the three years, just the three years leading up to this video where, where black people are being killed or, or shot or, and um, hadn't been paying attention to those names, the names of Eric Gardner and Michael Brown and Tamir Rice and Walter Scott, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Stephen Clark or Stephen Clark. And I, I just forgot about and there's this moment where I realized, uh, watching it again this week, that this video was kind of prophetic. Because at the very end of this music video, and by the way, it, it's disturbing. I encourage you to watch it. It's got one or two swear words and in everything. But there, there's, it, it, it's a powerful understanding of what's happening. It ended with him running down a dark hall as fast as he can, sweating with terror on his face and people chasing him. And I can't even help thinking that it was so prophetic about what um, someone like Ahmaud Arbery went through, where he was chased down and killed. And since then, we've had stories of Botham Jean and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, Dante Wright, and recently Amir Locke, where this injustice continues and the pain continues. And so as we've been talking about it as a staff, I've also been discussing things with Bridget, and Bridget, I'd love to hear your perspective of what you see. As a mother of two school-aged boys, I get the privilege and honor of rearing them, of affirming them, but I also have to protect them and prepare them for a hostile world that we live in. And COVID happened to shine a light as well as exacerbate a lot of the different issues that systemic issues that are going on in our country, like within our educational system or our health system or um, even within our justice system. And you begin to see that race and economics, they matter and that they play a role in those things. And that I also see how people and rules, sometimes they don't apply to the same. Like you have the same rules, but they don't apply to the same maybe people groups. And it doesn't matter, like each week you might see a headline and you start to see these things highlighted. Um, I'm thinking about um, Dante Wright right now and the fact that um, the sentencing for the police officer um, was passed down for two years and we saw a level of mercy that was extended. But I also can't help but wonder where was the mercy 
three years ago when the roles were reversed, when a black man who shot an unarmed woman ended up getting slapped with 12 years, 12.5 to be correct. Now, I unfortunately, I know that there's two different situations, but unfortunately I don't have the, I don't have the liberty of not thinking how race can play a role in being undercurrent in a lot of these different injustices that we see in our world. Thanks for sharing. I think I see systemic racism and prejudice against people of color. I, I also see other injustices that kind of you can get a little sad about thinking all of them, but I, I also see that there's an issue of, of the way we treat immigrants in our country and those who don't speak our language. I see the same things and acts happening today um, deplorable conditions, treating people as second class based on them being other. Um, this is the reality. And, and so before we get to the hope and the joy and what God's going to do through us, I, I think we have to sit in this moment and recognize. And maybe you need to ask the question, what are the injustices that you see? Um, there's a song that I've you know, been thinking about for over a year and, and shared with David um, that does such a good job explaining this. So I'll let David introduce it. Yeah, um, so there, there's an artist called John Guerra, and uh, Nathan sent it to me about a year ago, and um, I ignored it, <clears throat> and then it came up on my own. Uh, it came up on my own discovery, and I texted Nathan. I was like, "Hey, did you have you heard this song?" And he was like, "Yeah, I sent it to you a month ago." And I was like, "Cool." Um, so then I learned to listen to the songs Nathan sent me. Um, but uh, I, so I, I had heard of John Guerra before, and, and I looked into him a little bit more. And um, on his thing, he says, I write music less for Sunday mornings and more for devotionals. And, and as a worship leader, like, you know, I hear a lot of songs, and there's a lot that I'm like, man, I would love to share this with uh, the congregation. But there is not often opportunity to be able to share these things. Uh, because it's not a worship song. It's, it's a devotional, and it's it's one that points out injustices in the world. And so um, this is less of a sing-along and more of a, a what I like to call a, a sit-and-get. Um, and so <laughs> I just I want to en encourage you to to posture yourself to hear what what is God what is God showing you through uh, this what the the beautiful lyrics that this man has written um, and what do you see and, and how how is God speaking you. Um, into it, and if it, it boils, brings up anger or different emotions, like, let's talk about that. Um, but it goes like this. I have a heart full of questions, quieting all my suggestions. What is the meaning of Christian in this American life? I'm feeling awfully foolish, spending my life on a message. I look around and I wonder ever if I heard it right. Coming to you because I'm confused. Coming to you because I feel used. Coming to we while I'm waiting. Tell me you won't let me go. I need to know there is justice, that it will roll in abundance. 
and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants and you call us citizens and you welcome us as children home you were alone and rejected misunderstood and detested you gave it all didn't hold back you even gave up your life how can we call ourselves christians saying that love is the tension between the call and the crossing between the old party line coming to you because the mothers who are all running for cover there is a flood for the weeping tell me you won't make them go I need to know there is justice, that it will roll in abundance, and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants, and you call us citizens, and you welcome us as children home. There is a man with a family, he is a wife, and a baby he broke the law just to save them working for three bucks an hour truly you said we were equal everyone's heart is deceitful everyone born is illegal when love is the law of the land coming to you for the hungry eating the scraps of this country didn't you swear you would feed them Tell me you won't make them go. I need to know there is justice, that it will roll in abundance, and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants, and you call us citizens, and you welcome us as children home. There is a wolf who is ranting, all of the sheep, they are clapping, promising power and protection, claiming the Christ who was killed, killed by a common consensus, everyone screaming Barabbas, trading their God for a hero, forfeiting heaven for Rome, coming to you cause I'm angry, coming to you cause I'm guilty. Coming to you cause you promised to leave the flock for the one. I need to know there is justice, that it will roll in abundance. And that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants. And you call us citizens and you welcome us as children home. Where we arrive as immigrants and you call us citizens and you welcome us as children home. Is there a way to love always, living in enemy hallways? Don't know my foes from my friends and I don't know my friends anymore. Power is several prizes. Handcuffs can come in all sizes. Love has a million disguises, but winning is simply not one.
Thanks for sitting in that with us and just experiencing it for a moment. We'll get to part two, which is the equitable correction, the way that the church responded. In verse two, it says this, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would be not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. So the correction is that these leaders, the disciples, the ones who followed Jesus, the ones who walked next to him, they decided, no, this isn't right. And so they want to correct it. They understood that the spiritual reality is connected to the material and that there should be a place at the table for those who are in need. And I love how they respond. And they, they selected, uh, they said, select some men from among you. Uh, this is kind of the pattern they followed. The first, they didn't assign blame. They didn't say, oh, this is this fault or that fault. No, 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 no. They were unwilling to ignore the issue. And most importantly, I think, they were unwilling to be paternalistic in their response, saying, oh, we will now fix this for you, or we will do this or that or the other. But instead, they said, choose from among you. They chose people from among them. That meant the Greeks, the Greek Jewish people, they said, select from among them, and then we will appoint them. I love that their response was to not assign blame, not to ignore, and not to be paternalistic. And this is our response as a church when these issues come forward. Verse 5 says this, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So you see this quickly happen. What do they do? What does leadership do? They act. You know what's beautiful is if you're not paying attention, you can just keep going and say, just select from among all of us people who can do this. No, 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 no. He said select from the Greek people. All of these people that are named here who are full of the Spirit and wisdom are Greek. They're from the group that had been marginalized. This is powerful. They selected leaders from the oppressed group and brought them into influence so that all could have a seat at the table. This wasn't passive. This was very intentional. And then what did they do? They laid hands on them and prayed for them. Now, we do that too uh, when our prayer team comes back up and when we're in our small groups, we, we, we lay hands on people and we pray for them. But back then, it, it looks a little bit different. You know, I, I didn't really understand the fullness of this until I met some of my Anglican brothers and sisters. In the Catholic Church, in the Anglican Church, when someone becomes a priest, they lay hands on them and bless them. And the idea of it is, and then they can actually like write this out and show, is that a priest gets laid on by a priest, like a priest lays a hand on there and then commissions them. And it goes all the way back to the disciples and to Jesus, meaning that from Jesus to the disciples, to Stephen and these others, there's been someone who has laid hands and blessed them. That's powerful. This influence, the saying, we not only agree with these people, but we're lending our influence. We're lending our power to them and saying, you have this power as well. This is powerful. It is beautiful. It's wonderful. 
This is torchbearing. This is what it means to bear the torch of justice and love and to shine a light into something that is unjust and then make a difference. They started doing that immediately. This was making every effort to keep unity of the Spirit, to keep people at the table. In our vision document, which um, we talked a little bit about earlier, I want you to know that this passage is one that we included in it, very intentionally so. Listen to how we word it here. Is it any wonder that the first issue the church faced was justice-related? Greek widows were overlooked in favor of the local widows in the distribution of food. This inequity was brought to the church leaders, and the church responded by elevating and empowering Greek Christian leaders to oversee food distribution. This inclusion of the voice of the marginalized brought to light the issue, and an equitable solution was reached, which preserved the unity of the Spirit. It literally kept everyone at the table. This impactful moment, maybe you didn't realize how big it was, it's actually bigger than that. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I want to invite you to be part of this. See, our vision is that you would bear the torch. So my question is, how will you bear the torch? How will you bear the torch of the light of Christ? We can bear the torch to light up injustice in this church. Uh, And the way we can do that um, is how we are already doing. And I love that we are going to have this little torch here. It's one of my favorite things. Um, it's special, but it helps us focus on what our job is. Our job is to be a light in our community. And as a church, we've already engaged in this in some pretty cool ways. The first is we've done exactly what Acts has told us to do by including in our levels of leadership um, people who are single and married and old and young, people of all colors and even citizens and immigrants. We've done this. We've included this voice and empowered people because it will light up injustice in our community. And you can be part of that solution as well. But it isn't just for what we do in the church. We're called to take this light out into our communities, out into the places that need it. Right now, our school places, they need the light. Also, our workplaces need the light of justice. To stand up for those who have been treated unfairly people of color but i continue to hear about how the way we treat women in the workplace is is abhorrent and the kind of things that people say to women it's just ridiculous would be not acceptable with a man but nobody is standing up for them and saying no that's not okay you can't do that you've got to speak up we have an opportunity to shine light in those situations to use whatever level of power we've been given to do good And I think that's hopeful for me, that you can bear this torch, that you can light up your community, your neighborhoods, all the people around you, that you can invest in businesses that are run by people of color to help them grow and be part of, uh, you know, have a greater uh, uh, impact on our community. You can speak up for those who are underrepresented in every level of, of leadership in our organizations, and uh, we can be the ones who fight for this. We love well when we fight for justice. One of the ones that I've been thinking about a lot is the orphans and widows of our day, which would be those who are actually orphans, those in our foster care system, and single parents. Those who are struggling and need love and care and may don't have the support. It's exactly the same as what's happening in here. 
So perhaps you need to follow the lead of many of the people in our church who foster, many of those who adopt. Maybe you need to follow the lead and consider investing in organizations or volunteering in organizations that do. Maybe we need to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love to the homeless, like we have been doing, but that we're going to continue to do, to care for those so that they can stay alive. Sometimes this all just seems so simple, doesn't it? And yet we get so distracted. This is what it means to bear the torch of love, but it's more than that. It's something that's going to be unique to you. That's this vision isn't for just the church as an organization. It's for every one of us that I believe that every single one of you can light a torch up and bring into light the darkest of places. But this is who God is calling you to be and to become. And I believe all of us have different hearts. And so what I want to do right now is I want to pray and I want to ask God to do some things through us. I want God to show up in huge ways. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba Father. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. We pray that our cry of Abba, Father, Dad, would be heard by all. But our cry is to you, our perfect Father, our loving Father, our Father who cherishes us more deeply than we could ever even imagine. Be heard by all. Let the widow and the orphan, the oppressed and the hurting hear our cries for your love. Let them see the way in which you answer, the ways in which you protect us and celebrate us and treasure us as precious children. Let that be seen. Let our cries bring others to your feet that our cries bring others in contact with your perfect love, a love that cannot be found anywhere else, a love that so many of us have looked for our whole lives, a love that is only offered by you. I pray that our cries are vulnerable and honest. Let our cries for you be desperate and constant, not for our sake or, or our benefit, but for your glory. Let them see you through us. Let all our cries draw all to the one perfect Abba. Lord, hear our prayer. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, Jesus Savior. You hear us calling, us calling Jesus Savior. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, 
For those who are hurting, wounded, and oppressed, who are suffering with grief and trauma, and whose voices were silenced by their oppressors, Lord, have mercy. We need your gentle care, your healing power, and your just protection. Bring us comfort, restore our dignity, end the generational cycle of brokenness. Instead, let your peace and joy take root in our hearts and lives. Teach us to be advocates for justice and not to remain silent, but to speak out on behalf of victims of these brutal offenses. Lord, hear our prayer. to the day where you belong will no longer just be on our wall, but written on the hearts and minds of your people. For the sense of inclusion being reflected in our services and expressed in a tangible way that is undeniable that, Lord, you are in it. I thank you in advance for intentional relationships being formed inside the church and outside of the church. Holy Spirit, move. You are a consuming fire. Empower your church to be a light in our community and to set the world aflame with your power and your love. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have I think this is the part where I'm really excited, and this is part three. This is where I believe we're at as a church, is the revival. The revival of something that happens, that changes, that transforms. And listen to what happens in Acts. Acts 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Because of this moment, something changed. 
Here's what you need to know. Revival is a result of justice. When justice is served, revival comes. And what revival means is when people come back to life, where there is a multiplication of people who follow the faith, but those of us who are tired and weary, we come back alive because the flame of what God is doing is reignited in us and in our communities. And this is the promise of what will happen as we jump into this, as we become torchbearers, something will change. The world will know the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we relentlessly pursue one more. That's why we do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, because it results in people in this church who engage in those ways, learning to take this light, to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love into the community, and it changes things, and it gives glory to God. This is what it means to be driven by new light, driven by revival in our own hearts, but more importantly, driven by new life in those who are oppressed. This is the gospel. This is the truth. Now, I want to point out one passage which maybe caught your attention. I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I was like, here's this big thing. This thing happens. Great. So the word of God spread. People increased. And then this last line catches me. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. <laughs> Sorry, what? What does that have to do with anything in here? As I dug into this, I think it's one of the most powerful parts of this whole passage. Here's why. These priests, these priests from the Jewish temple, these priests to the gods of the area, they came to the faith. Why? Because they saw this injustice and they could do nothing. They saw the brokenness and this system where it keeps dropping these women off to be left alone and starved. They saw that they could do nothing, and yet this church who followed the way was able to love and care for them, and they realized this is true religion. This is truly of God. Do you understand how powerful this is? The reason why people are not flocking to Christianity is because we have not found and shown them the love and justice of Christ. But we can, and when we do, revival is coming. This is powerful, and it's beautiful, and it gives me so much hope. Now that you know this, listen to how we describe who we're going to be in our document. Listen, we must address our own racial, political, theological, and religious tribalism that runs counter to the gospel of Christ and our identity as sisters and brothers in Christ. Life Canton Church will be inclusive to all of the diversity in our community in the leadership of this church. These voices will reveal the issues of biblical love and justice within our community that have to be addressed as unity is restored through action. It will shine out into the community. And as a result, Life Canton Church's attendees, they will all be from the surrounding demographics as they are drawn into a biblical, multicultural community. The gospel of Jesus Christ will pour out into the places of need, injustice, and pain through the partners and the people of Life Canton. And Life Canton's impact on issues of justice, mercy, and healing will be undeniable to the community around us because our torchbearers will join with those outside of Life Canton to shine the light of biblical justice and love. 
Listen, there's one point here that you need to hear. There is no gospel, there is no great commission without justice and love. If we do not do this, we will have failed the great commission. We will have failed the call of Jesus. Jesus says this in Matthew 18, 28, 18 through 20, the great commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them right before he went to heaven. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Revival is coming as we engage this commission. I, I want to explain something that's interesting at this point. In Acts 6, when this happens, do you know that the disciples have stayed in Jerusalem this whole time? They haven't gone anywhere else. They have stayed in Jerusalem. It's like they forgot what all nations meant. They forgot it. And, and to put you know, more pressure on this, Acts 1.8, says, you will, this is Jesus again, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Oh no, it keeps going. And all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's as if the disciples forgot the rest of that commission. I mean, they got the Jerusalem part right. I mean, kind of. I mean, they went to the right kind of Jew. They cared for the right kind of Jew, but they missed Judea, which was the Jewish country right next to them, so they didn't even get that right. And then it goes on to say that they missed the Samaritans, who were an even worse form of Jew, a former Jew, and they missed the Gentiles, and they missed the world. But in this moment, when they elevated these men, when they gave and commissioned them and appointed them, things changed. Stephen went to all of the Jews by going to the actual priests and he declared to them the truth of Jesus Christ. Others went to Judea and Philip, he went to Samaria. You're thinking, okay, we almost got all the way there. But Stephen, Stephen's the first martyr. He's the first one to follow Christ. Not Christ's apostles who were still there. Stephen. And he was killed. And you know, there was someone standing there when he was being killed. Someone who stood there and watched as they threw stones at him, bludgeoning him to death. And he had a job too. He was also holding all the coats, all these beautiful garments of all the priests so that they wouldn't get blood on them while they're killing Stephen. And he stood there and looked on. And that man's name was Saul, who became Paul, who was commissioned to go to the rest of the world. Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world because what the apostles got right is they corrected injustice. This is big. Do you understand that that's the same kind of revival that God is promising us if we do this? That's the kind of revival we've all been actually wanting and thinking and thinking that these things of justice and others, that they're, they're sideways energy, that they're not the main part of the gospel. I want to tell you something. Social justice, these things of justice and love, they are not some kind of fad to fit in with community. They are the gospel. They are the gospel. And this is what God has for us. The first conflict in the church was justice and love, and the response of the church, church 
led to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. There's no gospel without Christ's justice and love. Will you bear this torch? I love the disciples and what they went through, and they ultimately gave their lives. But there's one thing I want to point out. In, in Acts 6, 2, they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And then later, in verse 4, they says, we'll, we'll give our attention to prayer and to ministry of the word. What I want to point out here might be hard for you to hear, but I think that the disciples, while they did something incredibly good here, they did something wonderful and beautiful, they also abdicated serving at the table. They gave it up. They said, no, we'll just preach and stay in Jerusalem. We'll just go back to this. And I'm absolutely flabbergasted by this. I can't understand why they did this. I mean, it, it sounds logical, right? There's, a, there's an organizational thing that we need to do here, right? That's how this is normally explained away. But, but I, I can't imagine how the disciples of Jesus Christ, 11 of which who walked with him every day, and 11 of which who sat there, forgot where Jesus put himself, where Jesus placed himself. They forgot that Jesus didn't just serve the table. He took his clothes off, got down on his knees, and he washed their feet. He forgot. They forgot. I can't understand this. You see, our job isn't to talk about these things and to, to, to wax eloquently about them and to do this. No, no, no. Our job, every single one of us, is to bear this torch and to put ourselves on our knees and to love people where they are at. And we go to the sick and we go to the oppressed and we go to the hurting. I mean, each of us love mercy and justice when it's mercy for me, justice for me. But do we love mercy enough to bleed? I mean, justice is going to cost us. Love is going to cost us. Do we love justice and mercy enough to bleed? And is it really justice is it, if it doesn't cost us? Because it sure costs Jesus a lot. So will we follow Jesus' example and humble ourselves and sacrifice with us? Because if we do, if we do this, something's going to change. Do you understand the revival that will happen? Many of us have been praying for this revival for years. What we see in the word of God is that when we follow after Christ's justice and love, the world is transformed. And he can do that through you. And that's our vision. But are you willing to sacrifice? Will you join me? Let's sing this again, friends. In a world where we're losing hope, that life has us on the ropes, misunderstandings, hate running rampant, every man out for his own. Seems like we've lost our way, and the distance grows every day. Thought that we had open the madness, knowing the tragic. You said if we turn from our wicked ways, 
humble thyself and pray and seek your face you'd give us grace so come have your way Lord here we are bending hearts bending knees with outstretched arms God hear us from heaven send us your presence we need you Lord we need you Spring may pass, but winter and fall won't last. I can trust the Creator's perfect in nature. Better is coming, I know. And just like the rising sun, our faith is rising up. God of your promise, what you started you faithful to finish with you said if we turn from our wicked ways humble ourselves and pray and seek your face you give us grace so come have your way Lord here we are the bending hearts bending knees with our prayer friends let's sing it out
Let your kingdom come, let your will be done, let your glory fall on your daughters and sons. God, hear us from heaven, send us your presence. We need you, Lord, we need you, Lord. Need you, Lord. Amen, church. Did you see God move today in this place and in this community? So today we sat in it. We sat in the injustice. We heard about what God could do and what he is going to do. So what is next? We go. 
We reclaim our identity. We bear the torch. And that work starts today. Please don't miss that, that not only is God going to work in 10 years, in 5 years, in 2 years, he is going to work today. And he has worked yesterday. And he will continue. So as we begin this work and as we participate, I want to give you three opportunities to do that today, to begin to bear that torch. First and foremost, you can give. You can participate financially in the work that God is doing. Uh, you can give online at lifechurchcanton.org forward slash give. If you're online, you can follow the link in the, uh, in the chat. Or you can give financially. But we also have two tables out in the lobby with uh, amazing opportunities to participate in the community. Uh, first, we have a homeless outreach. Uh, Pastor Nathan talked about some of the struggles that homeless people in our community are facing. And if you go to that table, there are supplies that need to be brought next week. There are ways for you to participate in that ministry, provide some of what they need. So go to that table and check that out. Also, we have a, uh, a ministry we work with called Royal Family Kids that really focuses on bringing love and care to students and young people that are going through horrific, traumatic situations. And they have a, a summer camp coming up that you can get involved in. So check all that out. If you're online, feel free to uh, fill out a Connect card to let us know you want to know about that. Or even say something in the chat and we'll reach out. But it starts today. All of the things we talk about, all the things we're seeing, they are coming and they are starting to come today. So please participate. Get up and go and bear that torch. That is our prayer for you this week. We can't wait till next week when we get to start to hear about those stories and the ways that God moved and the ways that you saw him move. So until next week, have a blessed week and we'll see you soon.